The economy is crumbling, they say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolution's on the way, but I could never be a Marxist, it goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You see, come up to Paul Newell, he went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker, I'm seeing that a dunker. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. My guest today is Sitembile Mbete. Sitembile is a senior lecturer in the Department of Political Science at the University of Pretoria in South Africa, where she teaches on international relations and South African politics. She has published several articles on the Economic Freedom Fighters, or EFF, and is at the start of a book project on populism in South Africa. Much to talk about. Welcome to the podcast, Sitembele. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with my standard introductory questions. First, what was the first sports team you ever supported? Kaiser Chiefs. And second, what is your favorite political song? So my favorite political song is called Azania. It is a struggle song from anti-apartheid struggle, and it has been made popular again by the EFF. Excellent. We'll talk about that more later. And finally, what is your favorite political book? I Write What I Like by Steve Beagle. So before we talk about the economic freedom fighters, can you just tell us quickly how South Africa is dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic? We are currently going through our COVID-19 infections peak. Uh, we had a massive rise in infections towards the end of June. Our original infections hotspot was uh, Cape Town, which had a big peak in infections uh, towards the beginning of June. And then by the end of June, the virus had spread pretty rapidly to other parts of the country. Our government introduced a lockdown pretty early and quite a hard lockdown. There's been an easing of lockdown restrictions since the beginning of May. And I think that's one of the reasons why we saw an increase in the spread of the virus. But our death rates uh, have remained relatively low. We've got one of the lowest death rates in the world. So we've had about 564,000 cases of COVID and 10,621 deaths. Uh, right. But it seems as though the situation's under control. Bridging this a bit, what has been the EFF's position on COVID and how the government is dealing with it? So the EFF has been really interesting because they have been critical that government has not done enough and has not taken a hard enough stance on dealing with COVID-19. The big issue, the response to the medical crisis of COVID-19, mm-hmm. but of course, like all developing countries, we have a very serious economic crisis that is developing and that has developed as a result of the lockdowns. And the big additional crisis, a corruption pandemic at the same time, as a COVID pandemic. There's been reports of COVID-related corruption in the past few weeks. And so government departments and politicians who were using the emergency procurement measures put in place by the National Treasury to basically get procurement contracts for PPE and other necessities for dealing with COVID. And a lot of very high-profile politicians have been implicated in that. So the EFF's position has been one of being hugely critical of the government's opening up of the economy, the EFF arguing that the government has opened the economy too quickly and has basically succumbed to the interests of capital. Uh, the EFF has really accused the government of neglect. And then, of course, the EFF has been critical of the corruption uh, that seems to be associated with the procurement around COVID. 
Right. So let's talk about the economic freedom fighters. Who are they? What's their history? So the Economic Freedom Fighters is a political party that was formed in 2013 by Julius Malema, who was the erstwhile president of the African National Congress Youth League. The ANC is the ruling party in South Africa, has been since 1994. And Julius Malema and his deputy president at the Youth League, Floyd Shivambu, were expelled from the party by the ANC because of statements that they had made around a range of issues. They insulted the government of Botswana, but also spoke about wanting policy of nationalization of mines and other things that are not in the policy of the ANC. Right. And so they were expelled from the party in 2013 and decided to form a new party that they named the Economic Freedom Fighters. And they had their launch event at Marikana, which is a mining area on the Platinum Belt in South Africa, where the year before, in 2012, there had been a police shooting, a massacre of miners who were on strike. Yes, I remember uh, that is the history of the formation of the party. They've been around for seven years and they decided to contest the 2014 general election in South Africa. That was the election for national and provincial government. At the time, South Africa was under the presidency of Jacob Zuma. A lot of the EFF's notoriety and its growth as a party after it was formed became tied to its opposition to former president Jacob Zuma. We political scientists always like to put political phenomena into categories. And where does the EFF fit? Are they populist? Are they socialist? So when I initially tried to started trying to make sense of the EFF after they were formed in 2013, a lot of what was being written about the EFF in South Africa was calling them a populist movement. Julius Malema had been a very controversial political figure for all of his political career speaking out quite directly about different issues uh, in South African politics. He'd faced a case at our country's Equality Court for singing a song from the anti-apartheid struggle that spoke about shooting the Boers. The Boers is the derogatory sort of term that was used during the struggle for Afrikaners. And so one of the Afrikaner groups took him to court, to the Equality Court, for hate speech. He had, in a press conference, expelled a BBC journalist from the press conference uh, and called him all sorts of names. So Julius Malema was a very controversial figure and somebody who'd been intrinsically linked to the rise of former President Jacob Zuma within the ANC to enable him to take over as president of the ANC. So he was a figure that wasn't hugely trusted by the media and by a lot of the middle class and political elite. And so when people were trying to make sense of this political party, a lot of them saw it as an opportunistic move and dismissed the EFF as a populist party, but not populist in any sort of analytical way, but they just dismissed it as populist uh, to say that they shouldn't be taken seriously. Right. And when I looked into the literature on populism and, of course, your writing, but also the literature on populism as a political discourse, mm -hmm. but also the writing by Ben uh, Moffat about populism as a political style, yeah. I found that to resonate quite deeply with the way in which the EFF was doing politics. So some people were concerned that it seemed quite fascist and authoritarian in its political beliefs and approach. So they took 
on wearing a military kind of gear like guerrilla freedom fighters of the anti-apartheid struggle they called each other fighters uh, that was their equivalent of like comrade or, or comrade to each other and Julius Malema as the head of the party was referred to as the commander-in-chief mm-hmm. their administrative body is called the command council very much a, a militaristic party in that way where they use that kind of rhetoric right. um they also propose a very socialist left-leaning policies uh, nationalization of mines uh, land expropriation uh, without compensation and so a lot of the policies that they propose are sort of left-leaning but for me what was most interesting about the EFF is the way in which they used performance in order to deploy their politics so they wear these very distinctive red berets similar to the kind of berets that Hugo Chavez wore Hugo Chavez is a very big idol of Julius Malema Julius Malema idolizes Hugo Chavez they right. met sev- they met several times while Chavez was alive and so they had red berets the men of the EFF wear red overalls which is basically the clothing that miners wear when they go underground and so that's to associate themselves with the working class of South Africa and the women wear domestic workers uniforms they wear a typical kind of maids outfit of South Africa because most black women in South Africa are employed as domestic workers so that's how i came to sort of think about them through this performative lens of populism right and there also seems to be some kind of attribution of the ANC's legacy and it's almost as if the FF to a certain extent claims to be the true ANC still really left wing still kind of pan african or do i see too much in that No certainly and one of the things about South Africa like many other countries in Africa that had first governments up of liberation movements the ANC is a dominant party in the electoral sense that they've won um each of the elections since 1994 but it's also hegemonic in South African politics like many other dominant parties is a broad church in that it includes many people from across the political spectrum but in many ways the ANC is also like a church South Africa is a very Christian country the majority of people are members of one of the major Protestant denominations whether that's being Methodist or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Dutch reformed and so the ANC is very similar to to one of those big churches that you find in every neighborhood and everyone is a member of it and so all the parties that try to split away from the ANC split and identify themselves as the true ANC they say that they are the ones who actually carry the value of the ANC because the current leadership of the ANC has destroyed those values and the EFF followed the same kind of of strategy basically claiming that the ANC had betrayed i suppose the revolution and that the EFF was going to carry forward the intentions of the ANC's freedom charter which is basically the driving document of, of the ANC so the EFF spoke about wanting to take forward the freedom charter which was formed in 1955 and do things like nationalize mines expropriate the land so that a true freedom would actually come to South Africa so you reading right. of the EFF in that way is completely correct. 
And after apartheid, South Africa reinvented itself as the rainbow nation, as a multicultural country, and to a certain extent, almost post-racial. Does that play a role in the EFF as well? Are they more radical on race? Yes, they are. You know, to understand why the Rainbow Nation um, kind of mythology emerged, you must understand South Africa as a post-conflict society. Mm -hmm. Apartheid was one of the longest-running political crises of the 20th century, a big uh, human rights crisis, which is why there was this international anti-apartheid movement that developed around it. Many people expected the crisis of apartheid was going to end, would only end through fully-fledged civil war. And certainly that is what the liberation movements uh, that had been exiled were preparing for, right, with their different military wings. And so when there was this negotiated settlement that was sparked by the release of Nelson Mandela from prison in 1990, and this negotiated settlement between the white nationalist, white supremacist National Party government and the liberation movements, the ANC and the PAC, and other black organizations. It really was a negotiation for peace, a peace that was reached through various compromises around everything from the political system and, and most importantly, the economic system as well, that the ANC agreed not to radically challenge the socioeconomic structures of the country and to work within the confines of market capitalism instead of pursuing any communist or socialist change. Uh, And that's also understandable if you think of the international context, right? The Cold War had ended, the ANC's biggest international champion, which was the Soviet Union, um, was no more. And so there were really few options, I think, for that kind of revolutionary change. And what Nelson Mandela did then is that he realized that in order for there to be stability in the country after this negotiated settlement, you needed to try and build some kind of national unity and common sense of nationhood uh, between these groups that had been apart uh, for so long. And um, hence the idea of a country united in its diversity and a rainbow nation. Of course, the problem with that was that it is very difficult to unite people when they are socioeconomically so unequal. And so where does the EFF stand on that? So over the years, there's been a huge building of resentment, particularly amongst young black people who haven't seen life improve a huge amount in a practical sense since 1994. And for young people who were born after 1994 and who have been born into a country with an unemployment rate of 40 percent, goes up to 60 or 70 percent for young black youth, uh, where uh, education system is very poor, where many of the townships still look, the ghetto areas where blacks were forced to live in urban areas still look like what they did 20 or 30 years ago. For young black people, it doesn't really seem like what the system is now is all that much better from what their parents tell them it was 30 years ago. And a huge amount of resentment has built about the existing and entrenched economic disparities between white people and black people. And the EFF has tapped into that resentment. So went from being in 2013 a kind of non-racial party in the same kind of way as the AMC to being now a very explicitly and firmly black 
nationalist party that claims its identification with black people of South Africa and the world and really wants to fight for economic improvement and mobility for black South Africans. And so you've already mentioned in terms of the symbolism that there is some chavismo there and like the beret, but also the color red. And there are some aspects that remember of the ANC, the black fist in Africa rising with a spear. When you were talking about black nationalism, black liberation, also thought about the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. Is that something that is explicitly being discussed or copied within the EFF? So not so much. They claim their ideological affinity with Franz Fanon, the famous post-colonial or decolonial scholar, with Thomas Sankara, who was president of Burkina Faso, who was assassinated in 1987, and then also a Marxist-Leninist view of the economy. And so that is really the EFF's ideological lineage. They obviously also identify with Black Lives Matter. They don't employ the Black Panthers directly as an inspiration, but they do deploy the Black Consciousness Movement of South Africa. Um, Steve Biko, who I mentioned earlier, was the leader of that as an inspiration. And then, of course, Hugo Chavez, the kind of Bolivarian uh, revolutionary of Latin America. So one of the things that I found remarkable, given that the organization, as you said, has kind of a militaristic image, that three of the six members of the EFF national leadership are women. What are the gender politics of the EFF and what is the role of women within the organization? The gender politics of the EFF are fascinating and something that I want to research a bit more. So the EFF in its politics, as I've said, is very militaristic. And so a lot of the EFF rhetoric, a lot of their political performance is very macho and reflects this kind of hyper-masculinity and quite a violent masculinity in many ways. So Julius Malema gets very angry and he shouts at people and Floyd Chivambo has been accused of assaulting a journalist. So they're very macho and masculine in their approach and the support base, at least at the electoral level of the EFF, is made up primarily of young men all the surveys that have been done, people that most claim allegiance with the EFF are young men, young black men in particular, mm-hmm. of all classes particularly interesting. So not just the working class or the unemployed, but also um, middle class, young black men. Despite that very macho politics of the EFF, they also have given a lot of the people who are in very senior positions, as you've said, are women. And women play a very influential role in the party's grassroots structures. Uh, And older women, as well as younger women, so one of the party's most influential members of parliament is uh, Makoti Kaula, who is a middle-aged woman from KwaZulu-Natal, who has really built up the party's grassroots structures in that part of the country. And the EFF's positions in its manifestos, so the EFF's manifesto for the 2019 national election was one of the most progressive in terms of rights for the LGBTQI community and in terms of gender equity. The EFF has the highest number of women members of parliament in this current parliament in its caucus. It has almost 50-50 parity uh, amongst its members 
members of parliament. So you have this very masculine, macho rhetoric and positioning that sits alongside some really progressive practices of politics. And it's really interesting to see how those dynamics interact with each other. Absolutely. So in one of your articles, you state that the economic freedom fighters has transformed the South African political landscape since it was established in 2013. In what way? completely transformed the South African political landscape. And I always use when I'm speaking about this, and I'm going to get the quote completely wrong, but I'm paraphrasing very badly. Otto von Bismarck, who once said that politics is the art of the possible. Mm -hmm. Basically, what the EFF has done in the South African political landscape is that they've expanded the boundaries of what is possible in terms of what we can talk about in South African politics, in terms of how we can do politics, and in terms of how the ANC can actually be challenged. As I said before, the ANC is this hegemonic figure in South African politics that dominates everything, the language that we use to talk about politics, the way in which we think about party structures is very much based on the ANC. And what the EFF has done is that they have shown that it's possible to build a mass political movement that wins some representation in elections outside of the ANC. Very often uh, the saying that would resonate within the ANC when any group tried to break away from the party is that don't worry, they'll be back because it's cold outside the ANC. <laughs> and what the EFF has shown is that they can generate heat outside of the ANC. And just that has been hugely significant, especially when you think of South Africa as a country that's still governed by its liberation movement. Right. What they've also done is deploy disrespect and crudeness in very clever ways in our politics. So breaking some of the rules of decorum of parliament with slogans and chants like Zuma must fall when they wanted uh, Jacob Zuma to resign as the president for corruption. They were forcibly removed from parliament several times. They've also introduced a politics of kind of bad behavior. Yeah. Uh, that has gotten people really interested in the politics. So the other way that the EFF has transformed South African politics is that people are interested in what happens in Parliament again, yeah. which had been a very boring place where people fell asleep while giving speeches. <laughs> and so yeah. um, and I that guess is that... how significant the EFF is. Yeah, and I guess that's very typical of populist leaders. I'm just thinking about Nigel Farage and his, his yeah. speech against Herman van Rompuy in the European Parliament, which went viral, where virtually <laughs> no one ever watches a speech in the European Parliament. So finally, what is the most important misperception about the EFF, either inside or outside of South Africa? I'm increasingly thinking that the biggest misconception about the EFF inside and outside South Africa, and I'm including myself here, is that it is a populist party. As it has developed over the years, the EFF has developed a unique identity and ideological position that doesn't fit very neatly into populism. For example, the EFF is a pan-Africanist party, but they have a firm policy of a single Africa. So what they say they would do if they were 
the government of South Africa is that they would open the borders to our immediate region, our neighbors in Southern Africa, but also to, to other people from the continent as a whole. And South Africans, uh, I think quite similar, weirdly enough, to people in Europe or in the United States, there's a very strong popular sentiment of xenophobia in South Africa and a sense that um, migrants into the country, particularly migrants from other African countries, are stealing jobs and stealing women and are a drain and a strain uh, on the country. And even though that is the popular sentiment in South Africa, the EFF has been pretty firm that it refuses to be a xenophobic party. And so it hasn't really bowed to the popular sentiment, which I find very interesting. And then, of course, around its gender politics as well, the EFF isn't quite populist in that sense. So I do think that there is a lot more complexity within the EFF. The second conception, I think, is that the EFF is a one-man party, that it is a party of Julius Malema, the leader. And of course, that's understandable to see it that way. Julius Malema is hugely charismatic, very much like Hugo Chavez was. But I do think that the EFF is far more rooted in ordinary South African communities and in social movement than many people understand. And I think that that's a very important area of research. Absolutely. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Sitembele. Thank you so much, Cass. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. If you want to know more about Sitembele Mbete, you can follow her on Twitter at, at STMHMBETE. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe to Radical on your podcast platform of choice. Till the next time. The economy is crumbling. They say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Port Newell. He went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker. I'm seeing that a dunker. Playing with his beard. No wonder that. Tell that a little weird.